How's everybody feeling? Let's stand up and we'll pray. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing all right? Okay, a couple people doing good. How's everybody else? All right, well, hopefully you'll be doing good by the time you leave. Let's lift our hands up. Let's uh, just worship again for a second. Lord, we bow our hearts before you. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. I ask you to flow through me this morning, flow through my lips, and we invite, welcome, and invoke the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And we ask, Lord, that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at Elijah again. <laughs> at some point we'll get into Christmas stuff, I suppose. But I want to do the New Testament stuff first before I go back to the story of Elijah to just give some more validation to how we're looking at the scriptures. It's a very different way of seeing scripture, um, honestly. I've never really heard anybody but myself quite open it up like this. So, But I trust it's revelation from the Lord, and I think you'll see it's clearly consistent throughout the biblical text. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 is where I want to start. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, then we'll look at Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll go to 1 Kings 17. Again, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is bondage. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the Pentecostal version. That's the hyper-holiness Pentecostal people. Sorry, let me read that again. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the original language, actually what it says is, where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now I want to point out, when you look in a mirror, who do you see? be kind of weird to look at the mirror and see somebody else. <laughs> you, they, you might need some medication. <clears throat> or at least they'd want to put you on medication for sure if you told your doctor that you were looking in the mirror and saw somebody else. Thank you for laughing, Pam. It gives me some encouragement. <laughs> the way I read this for years, beholding us in a mirror, the Lord of glory. Or beholding us in a mirror, the Lord. So you see Jesus, this is how it was preached to me for years. You see Jesus, you become like him. When you see him, you become transformed into his image. Anybody else with me on that? But it's actually not what it says. <laughs> it says beholding as in a mirror. It doesn't say beholding as in a mirror the Lord. It says, or the Lord of glory. It says beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now I know this sounds like a minor distinction or like I'm using semantics or splitting hairs, but keep that in mind as we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Or I'm not 2 Corinthians, we are in 2 Corinthians. Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We got it? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where is your life, according to this text? Hidden, where? With Christ in God, and Christ is seated where? Above, right? At the right hand of the Father. So your life is there too. All of your life. Yeah? Thank you. When Christ, now watch this, when Christ, our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So when you appear with Him, where do you appear with Him? In glory, right? So beholding us in a mirror, who do you see when you look in a mirror? The glory of the... Lord, right? Now, by the way, this this hurts us because when you hear this text, if you have especially Pentecostal 
fundamentalist evangelical background, when you hear about the appearing of the Lord, your mind automatically goes to the second coming. Unless you've been here for any time at all. It's not talking about the second coming. So a lot of people think that means, well, I'll appear when the second coming appears in glory with Jesus, right? And we sing, write hymns and sing songs and... Are you with me? But he's talking about this same concept that he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Beholding is in a mirror. So in other words, here's what he's saying. Your life is hidden from you. Your life, you were raised with Christ. You were seated with Christ in heavenly places. And your life is hidden from you in Christ, in God, in the heavens, above the earth. Everybody say above. Got it? That's where your life is. When you set your mind on things above, the veil, which is what 2 Corinthians 3 is all about, is lifted away because you enter into the Spirit, and where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And when the veil is lifted away from your mind because you set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth, what happens? Something appears that didn't appear before. And what you see now with the eyes of your heart is not just the Lord appearing, but you and your life and your, say it with me, higher self appearing in glory. And when you see that appearing, your earthly version of yourself is transformed to reflect it from glory to glory. Do, Do you see it? That's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about. That's the revelation of the New Testament. I could take you to... Well, let's just do it. We're right here. Look at Ephesians. Nope. Back. God eats popcorn. Okay. So God eats. So it goes back the other way. Ephesians is to the left. Galatians. God. Ephesians eats. Pop. Philippians. Corn. Colossians. So. Okay, I lost you. (laughs) That's how I remember the order of the books in the Bible. God eats popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians. If you didn't learn anything else by coming today. (laughs) Philippians, Colossians. So, if we're in Colossians, we go to the left. Get it? All right. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, Paul's talking about praying for the saints here. He says, verse 15, Therefore... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, there's that word again, glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding, or the eyes of your mind, or the eyes of your heart, your inner eyes, This is what Paul's praying for you. He's not praying about your job, if you were in Ephesus. He's not praying about the persecution. He's not praying for your family. He's not praying for your kids. He's praying for this. Where is this in the church today? Where is this in prayer meetings today? You see it? That you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your mind, the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, etc. and so on. And then he goes on and talks about the mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above principalities, power, might, and dominion. He's saying you need to get a vision of Christ seated in the heavens above principalities, powers, and dominion. Got it? He's praying for that to happen inside of you. When you get to chapter 2, just because it's a new chapter does not mean that Paul is not still praying. Paul did not write his letter in chapter and verse. That was added later. So we could do this. You could find it. Got it? And, so he's still praying that you'll see this with the eyes of your heart. And, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive with Christ. Where is your life? Made us alive with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is gift of God, not of works of sin which you boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he foreordained that we should walk therein. You see the same principle. Christ who is your life. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. That is your higher self, right? Now, watch this. Set your thing, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The word metaphysics, if you say metaphysics or metaphysical, is simply a word that means above. Meta means to go above. And physics is the physical. Your understanding of physics, of the the way the world works, or this three-dimensional physical world. So to be metaphysical is simply to go above the three-dimensional reality. So if you are not a metaphysical Christian, you are not a Pauline Christian. All right. All right, now let's come back to Elijah. Everybody take a deep breath. Got it? All right, 1 Kings 17. Then, uh, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup, and I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first. Everybody say first. (laughs) Make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate many days, and the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now what does all this have to do with Colossians and 2 Corinthians? Elijah, as we've been looking at Elijah, represents the higher self or the you who is seated in heavenly places in Christ or the you whose life is hidden with Christ in God or the you who is above. Now, here's what Paul is clearly saying. If you want to see yourself in glory, you cannot think about your earthly self. Because your earthly self is what? Dead. So you cannot think about your earthly self, which means you have to break your mind away from the patterns of identity that have been set for you based on who you understand yourself to be in the earth. And direct your mind to things above so that you have an expanded awareness an expanded consciousness that includes a you that exists in a realm that you have not been to yet or that you cannot access in this three-dimensional world, a you that actually carries life, a you that actually exists in Christ, a you that is actually above and looks nothing like your earthly you, which is why you have to behold the glory of the Lord in a mirror... (laughs) 
Because you don't know what you look like. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Which means you have to go through a process of mental breakdown in order to break through. (laughs) That's good news, isn't it? (laughs) It's true though. As long as you are convinced you know who you are, you don't know who you are. (laughs) And that's your problem. Because you want to fit you into some form or mold or pattern that you can make sense of in this earthly dimension. And so Elijah, remember, is a Tishbite. He is a one who sits on a throne. That's what Tish, the Tishbite is. And Elijah is a combination of the divine name. So Elijah, the Tishbite, represents the higher self seated in Christ in heavenly places, who is the container of life and the vessel for the Word and the Spirit of God. That is you, (laughs) that already exists, not apart from you, connected to you. Not other than you, not foreign to you, not alien to you, but the you that contains God. The you that is the son or the daughter of God. The you that has the divine spark. The you that is created in the image of God. That is already who you are. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Your problem is not that you have to become it. Your problem is that you have to become aware of it. And there's a difference between becoming awake and aware and becoming something that you are not. Are you getting it? So the widow, so this is interesting, Zarephath means the, the place where the smelter or the, the metallurgist works. It's a place where metal is refined and brought to its truest. That's what Zarephath means. So go, go to the crucible. Watch. God speaking to the higher self. Go to the crucible and dwell there. For I have commanded a widow to provide for you. (laughs) Now, the widow's problem is what? She is cut off from life. She's got her last meal, and she and her son are going to eat it and going to die. There's no life in her. Right? Now, the word widow in the Hebrew there doesn't mean necessarily just... Widow, like we think about it, someone whose husband died. It, it's a word that means desolate, or widow literally means one without a king. And it could speak of a queen, or it could speak, speak of a nation. But it's one who's cut off from the higher authority. And the word provide there in the Hebrew doesn't just mean provide. It actually means to contain. Everybody just say with me, contain. So, Elijah, go into the crucible, for I have commanded one who is desolate and without a king to contain you, so that both of you can be sustained and have life. So the widow is a picture of your lower self, your earthly self, which is why it's a woman, because it has to be the feminine principle which contains. Woman means... (laughs) Sometimes I just laugh at the way I say stuff. Thanks. Except not when I'm trying to be funny, when I'm trying to be serious, that's the problem. Woman means a man with a womb. And a womb is an empty space that is able to carry life. So you have the masculine principle and the feminine principle, or you have, so, so here's the purpose for the lower self. To become a space that can contain the life of the higher self which is coming down from above. 
The lower self is not meant to die in that sense. When, when, when he says you died and your life is hidden with God, what he's saying is, is that the lower self, when it is not being the container of the higher self, it carries no life. Therefore, the, the, the lower self, when it's cut off from the higher self, contains no life. Therefore, it's dead and it has no bread. Go bring me something to eat. I have no bread. I have no life. What did Jesus say? He was the bread that came down to give life to the world. I have no bread. I have no life because I'm cut off from my higher self. So all I'm doing is wandering around in these cycles of death. And my seed or my son, and this is interesting, because the word for... um, Son in the Hebrew is ben, and it means to build, uh, to, to lay a foundation or to build something. So I have nothing to build with my future. Every, everything that I try to build, when I'm cut off from that life source, when I'm cut off from that higher self, has the sentence of death on it. <laughs> my seed will not bear life. My future will not continue, because <laughs> all I have right now the ability to produce is that which can only prolong the death process. I do not have that which can give life. I only have that which can uh, stave off death. And so that's what we become. We become the widow who wanders, if you will, to and fro, trying to fill the empty space inside with something other, because we know there's an emptiness. But because we're not metaphysical, we try to fill that with whatever's in the physical life. See it? So therefore, Elijah has to leave the brook and go to Zarephath, because that's where the higher self has to meet the lower self in order for both to be provided for. Because your higher self does no good and it does nobody any good up in the heavens. What good is it up there? <laughs> Seriously. There's no there's no water, the brook is dry. You see it? So the higher self has to come down in order to elevate the lower self so that both can dwell together with the flour and the oil. What is the flour and the oil? The flour and the oil, interestingly enough, is the recipe for the showbread in the temple. It's recipe for the showbread in the temple, flour and oil, frankincense, which was an oil that they would mix together, right? We call it showbread, but that's really not the best translation. The best translation is the bread of presence because it abides in the presence of God in the temple. So what has to happen is the lower self has to be willing to serve the higher self first. Bake me a cake with it first and feed me first. And if you feed me first, then you and your son can eat and live. See the principle? When what am I going to feed you? I'm going to feed you the bread of his presence. Until you learn how to sustain the Elijah inside of you by making, by shifting your priorities. And until you learn how to feed the prophet inside you, you you cannot unlock the life that's there to bring forth the miracles. You cannot unlock the life that's there to bring forth the future, the sun. (laughs) So you have to shift and adjust your 
priorities. And you have to know how to feed on the bread of His presence. You, you have to know how to feed the prophet inside you. You, you, you gotta know how then to connect the widow to the prophet. And you can't connect the widow to the prophet if the widow's stuck being a widow. <laughs> if the widow's just stuck in her forms. And, and, and so we go through this process. When, if you invite this process into your life, then God will send you to Zarephath, which is the crucible. It's the place where the metal is heated up in the fire so that the impurities will rise to the surface. And how did the metallurgist, when they were working with gold or silver, how did they know they'd gotten all the impurities out of the gold and the silver? They could see their reflection. <laughs> they could see their reflection in what was going on. And so what happens is, is God takes you into a place where He shakes you down. <laughs> it's also why in Hebrews it says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so... You have to begin to realize that you aren't whatever you thought you were. You aren't that scared person from the fourth grade that has carried timidity all of your life with you. You are not that depressed person who comes from a long line of depressed bipolar people, and so you inherited it somehow genetically. And so you walk right into your depression right on time. Because you're genetically programmed because the mirror you look into, whatever you behold, you become. So if you see yourself as subject to the laws of this world, and by that I don't mean go out and break laws of the land and land yourself in prison. I, I, I mean, if you see yourself as subject to the laws of corruption, uh, if you see yourself as subject to the law of age, then you will age right on time. If you talk about, boy, it's just tough getting old, and you know when you get around this age, and, and you got to watch, what are you feeding yourself? I mean, if you're feeding yourself commercials that tell you, men, when you reach a certain age that parts don't work anymore, because they want to sell you a pill, then you're going to arrive right on time with your parts not working, not because you chose it, but because that's all you fed on for... Uh... All right, I'm sorry. Right? If it's flu season and the flu's going around, then you better get your flu shot. Because you're going to get the flu. It's coming. You see what I mean? If at a certain age this goes, and at this age this goes, and at this age this goes, and that's the program and the patterning of this world that we just keep conforming ourselves to. But if there is a life that's hidden in the higher places, in the higher realms that's above that, then that life has the power to renew your youth like the eagles. <laughs> it really does. But you've got to lose that programming that says that this is the way things work. You've got to lose that programming that says this is the person who I am. Which means everything you've anchored in for security is going to be shaken so that you can be unplugged from the matrix so that you can get a new vision of who you are, which is the real you and the higher self that's carrying the presence, that's carrying the power, that's carrying the life, that's carrying the miracle, that's carrying the future, that's carrying the prophetic power. All of that stuff is in you. All of that stuff is who you are. All of that stuff is your true self and your real self. You don't have to try to become it. You don't have to work at it. You are it. The problem is, here, here's what we do in religion. So you understand then that much of what's in Scripture is parabolic. It's not meant to be taken literally and obsessed over like Cain and the story of Cain and Abel. And we're in the... Yes, yes, mom. I hear my mom saying, talk nice. Where did Cain find his wife? Where, where did Cain find his wife? Where? And so we, and, and, and this causes people to stumble and reject the gospel, and so we come up with an incestuous argument. Well, obviously he married one of his sisters. Listen, gang, the point of, of Cain and Abel is not to tell you where you came from. It is again a picture of the higher self and the lower self. And the firstborn always represents the lower self, and the secondborn always represents the higher self. That's why Cain is born, and then Abel. That's why Ishmael is born, and then Isaac. That's why uh, Jacob or Esau is born, and Jacob is grasping his heel. 
It's not hard to see. So Cain is a tiller of the ground. Right? Now the interesting thing is, is that Adam was made from the dust of the ground. So he's tilling his own humanity, demanding it to produce fruit. (laughs) All right, let me say it this way. He's working on his own humanity, demanding it to produce fruit. Why? Because God gave a promise to his mama that she would bear a seed that would undo what she had done. So out of her shame... from her past and because she was trying to work out in her fallen self without connection to the higher self her future she projects an image onto Cain to try to make him something he was never meant to be because Cain's name name means possession and here's now I'm going to take off after the church here in a second because Cain's name means possession the institutionalized church Cain's name means possession. And here's what she says. I have brought forth a man with the Lord. Or, I have a son with the Lord. And the word Cain means possession. So watch what she does. God, how did I get on this? God promised her a future redemption. And she's carrying the shame of the mistake that she made. So the moment Cain comes forth, she thinks he's the coming deliverer. And she says, I have taken possession of a son with the Lord. I have made a son with the Lord. So Cain becomes a tiller of the ground. has to work, 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 and till that soil, and till that soil, and till that soil, to try to rectify his own humanity when Abel's right there next to him. And so God accepts which offering? Abel's offering, right? And rejects Cain's. What's the logical thing for Cain to do? Hey, Abel, can I borrow a lamb? I mean, is this rocket science or? But what does God, what does God say to, see, God looks into Cain. He didn't just look at the offering. We mess it up. He didn't just look at the offering. It says he looked at Cain and his offering. What does he ask Cain? He says, Cain, why has your countenance fallen? And what I'd like to suggest to you is that mama took control of Cain and said, this is what you're going to be. And it was never who Cain was meant to be. And I'm going to tell you, the church does the same thing. That's why I refuse to have spiritual sons. Because I will not take a son with the Lord and enter into the transgression of Eve. Simple as that. And don't think when you've walked into certain ministries or churches or whatever, that you weren't part of the prophetic fulfillment. God's going to send us people. We're going to raise up a great church. And here you come. Yes, the promise for the future, you're mine. You're here to serve my vision. You're here to serve the house. And in fact, here's what we do. We take this story of this one right here. You know, you know, this. you've heard this one before. Give me the bread first. Give to the man of God first. Give to the work of God first. And then your provision will come. And the moment you do that, you just married a king. All right, maybe I should leave that alone. (laughs) So then you have all this pressure from ministries to become something and be something. And so what do you start doing? You start trying to work the soil. Well, I got to be at Bible study more. I gotta be at church more. I gotta make sure I'm praying more. I gotta make sure I'm being a good husband. I gotta make sure I'm being a good wife. I gotta make sure I'm being a good father. I gotta make sure I'm leading. The... 
And we're so ignorant. Like, I just gotta, I just gotta help you with something. I saw this on Facebook yesterday, and I, I, this just drives me nuts. It's got this umbrella, and up there, here's this, I'm talking to somebody, I gotta be, because this is totally off my message. Off here's this umbrella, and here's God. And then underneath that umbrella is Christ. And then underneath that is an umbrella that is the Father. And then underneath, or the husband. And then underneath that is an umbrella that is the wife. And then underneath that is an umbrella which is the kids. And somewhere in there is the pastor. Come on, you know it's true. And then it's raining, like really raining, like like fireballs from heaven. And you got all these umbrellas that are protecting you. And what you do, wife, when you disobey your husband, you take your little umbrella and you step out from underneath and get hammered. Or what you do, son and daughter, when you disobey your parents is you come out and get hammered. And somewhere in there is the apostle who covers you. And somewhere in there is the, 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 the pastor who covers you. And you step out from underneath that covering and, oh, you get throttled. Am I talking to the wrong group? And, and that's because there's a scripture that says, the head of every woman is the man, the head of the man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. So this is God's order for the family, right? How did I get off on this? <laughs> See, we create canes. Because we make people angry. Because we want to make them fit into our mold. And then we tell them, if you don't do it, you're going to be cursed. If you disobey me as your parent, you're going to come under a curse. If you disobey, your wife, if you get out from underneath that husband's covering, and don't follow him, and just submit to him like the Bible tells you, and then, you know, fireballs from heaven are going to come, because you're out from underneath that umbrella. And you can't, and how in the world can you connect with, if you're a woman, you can't even get to Jesus, unless you have a husband. And so then, if, you know, you get divorced or something, and, and, and the Catholic Church won't have you because they won't remarry you or whatever, and so you walk in the door of some nice, loving, promising, oh, we just love people here, and, and you come in, and then you want to do ministry, and say, oh, no, 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 you can't do ministry, you don't have a covering. Oh, but we make exceptions over here. And then we say the pastor is a covering, and then we wonder why the pastor has an affair. Just saying. Maybe because we put him in the role of the husband. I'm just saying. With all the divorcees. I mean, this is a recipe for disaster. I mean, I'm just saying. Is, I mean, is this too real? Or, all right, can I tell you, Paul is not saying this is the order in the home in that passage? Because you don't understand Greek mythology, you don't understand that he's talking to Corinth, and you don't understand he's addressing a creation myth and not the order in the home. Because the creation myth was that the woman came first, and that the man came out of the woman, and that the woman was leading the man into liberation by having her eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the word head in the Greek does not mean authority. It's not even the same Greek word. It means place of origin. So he's going back to the beginning. And he's saying the woman was the side that came out of the man. And the man was made in the image of... The man with the woman was made in the image of... He's working it backwards. The side comes out of the man. Male and female Adam comes out of... Christ, who is the image of God, and Christ comes out of God to set you straight about creation, not some ladder hierarchy umbrella mess that we tell people to keep them in bondage and keep them submitted and build our own, sorry mom, damn kingdoms. I mean, I'm serious. And so then they tell you, well, you gotta serve the man of God first. You gotta serve the man. And so everybody's washing cars and, 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 you know. Ugh. Somebody wants to come wash my car. I have a monthly thing to that. Like I paid for a monthly subscription. I can go up to that thing. I can wash it anytime I want to. Just like you. Now if somebody wants to come clean my house, we'll talk. So this whole thing is about you. It's, it's not trying to structure a hierarchy. 
And I'm sorry, I'm going to offend a lot of people because I know a lot of people have gone into this whole fathering thing. But how on earth do you reconcile the fact that Jesus, that that model existed in ancient Israel, that if you were a rabbi, you became the son of the rabbi, and Jesus says very specifically in the Gospels, do not call any man on earth father, yet one of the largest Christian institutions in the world calls their leaders father. And then we just reinstitute it under this guise of spiritual fathering. And don't call anyone rabbi because you got one father in heaven. you got one teacher in heaven. John the Apostle said, You need not that any man teach you. The anointing that you have abides within you and it will teach you all things. I'm going to work myself. I'm going to preach myself out of a job here. Get it? So Cain, back to, can we come back to Cain? Are we doing all right? Mm-hmm. And just, we buy into this stuff because we see models and they, the pictures and we have versitis. We just pull verses, so here a verse, it's old McDonald by Christianity. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. And then we just try to pull them all together and bring in the sheep. And can I just dispel that too? Because like sheep is one of the metaphors, one of the metaphors, one of the many metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about who we are. And pastor or shepherd is one of the many metaphors that the Bible uses to describe a loving, caring leader. Now, see, subconscious things are important. You have, you can, the only way you can have a pastor with a flock who has to take care of the sheep is if you have Old McDonald Christianity and you take care of verse, there, verse, everywhere, verse, verse, and say, okay, you all are dumb sheep and you need me to lead you and guide you. Heaven forbid. <laughs> Frankly, I don't think God much likes sheep. But we'll come and just say, well, I'm one of the sheep. He's, yes, and I know guys like that. You, you, if you don't call him pastor, like that's a sin. And if they're a couple, I'm like, like God has to call the couple. Where's that in the Bible? So you got <laughs> Pastor A and Pastor J, and then the way they relate to each other. I think, my God, do they call each other pastor when they're making love? <laughs> Because they sure as heck wouldn't not call him pastor in public. I'm just saying, you know, you've seen it. And they shame you. You're pastor Julie and Pastor and Pastor. I'm just saying. Why? Because we're the shepherd and we take care of the sheep because you can't take care of yourself. And the reason you can't take care of yourself is because you're a bunch of canes. And the reason you're a bunch of canes is because. We've given you all these rules and said you got to work, 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 work on yourself to try to produce fruit and give it to the Lord as an offering. God says, I hate that stuff. God says, I reject that stuff. And then what do we have? We have a bunch of angry church members that can't get along, so they split. (laughs) Why? Because they're angry like Cain. And then we're all fighting with each other because we're not doing it right and they're not doing it right and they don't believe like us and we don't believe like them. And And then that part of you that wants to work, 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 work to transform your own humanity, what does that part do? Kills the higher self. Kills Abel. Because I don't need Abel. Who needs Abel? Who needs a lamb? But Elijah didn't have to become somebody else. He just had to get with someone who knew they were bereft of a king. (laughs) Got it? Desolate, had an empty space that could contain and serve the higher self. So it's not a lower self that you kill or you hate or you despise or, oh, it's the flesh. You see the mind game? I mean, it's, 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 it's hypnosis on a mass level. I'm the leader, so I'm the shepherd, so I've got something special. I've got the vision, I've got the calling, I've got the mandate, i got whatever. And you're the sheep, and you're called to follow. 
and provide. So provide for me first. That. Hmm. Anyway. When, it, when it's all about you. So, so what, what has to happen is you have to take care of that higher self first. You've got to feed that higher self the bread of presence. How do, how do you do that? By setting your mind on things above. How do you do that? By not setting them on things on the earth. How do you do that? I haven't figured it all out yet. <laughs> but I do know this, that God will take you into the crucible where he will shake every image or belief or idea that you have about yourself to get you into a blank space. To get you to the place where you say, I just don't even know who I am anymore. I just don't even know how to relate to God anymore. I just don't even know how to operate anymore. Good. Maybe you realize you're just carrying, you don't have any bread. (laughs) And then with your intention and with your heart, you just make time to open up that space to things above. To connect with the higher self. To connect with the bread of his presence. And allow the Lord, really, to come in. Because when the Lord appears, then what? Then you'll also appear with him in glory. So then he begins to tell you who you are. He begins to tell you that you're cherished. He begins to tell you that you're his workmanship. He begins to tell you that you're his son. He begins to tell you that you don't have to make yourself. You're already created in the image of God. You're already created in righteousness and true holiness. You've already become his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You already are a son or a daughter. You already are secure. It's impossible. Listen, okay, last thing. I'm just like fishing all over the place prophetically. One of the worst fears that people can have is the fear of abandonment. The fear that I'm going to be abandoned. The fear that I'm going to be alone. That's what keeps you in toxic relationships. And so what keeps you going back to toxic relationships is that fear of abandonment. And you're looking for a stabilized sense of self and trying to find it in another human being. And you're getting frustrated in relationships. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to somebody. You're getting frustrated in relationships because that whole destabilizing is part of the process that you asked for when you wanted to serve God or you wanted to connect with life. And the more you try to find it in something down there, the more destabilizing it's going to become. But you keep going back, and, we, and people do this. They keep going back because of that fear of abandonment. And again, how has the church structured this? You don't want to be left behind. The rapture's coming. You're going to be left behind. Feeds on people's fear of abandonment. So stay in this toxic relationship with this toxic God <laughs> who treats you abusively just like his leaders. Am I talking to the wrong group? And so, in, in some ways, the way this thing works, you have to, you, you uncover. So you're in that smelter, right? You're in that, you're in that metal and that fire, and all that stuff starts coming to the surface. And we want to run away from it. And we want to push it away and we want to, whatever. And, or we want to kill it. Kill it! Kill the flesh. Kill it. Kill it. If I could just die more to myself. If I could just decrease more, he could increase more. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. You get it? I never kind of finished that thing off about the sheep. God calls you lots of things. He calls you sons. He calls you kings and priests. How come we don't use those metaphors to build organizations? I'm just saying. Is this helping you at all? See, you keep directing. You keep opening your heart to the presence. Keep directing. Keep affirming and acknowledging what 
really what the scriptures say about who you are. Gives you enough parameters. I am a son. I'm able to do all things through Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm washed. And here's the thing. It's impossible for you to be abandoned. It's impossible for you to be abandoned. God is closer to you than you are to yourself. And Jesus said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. And he's with you always, even to the end of the age. And he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And he's a lot better help in times of trouble than that old thing you've been dragging around hoping one day it would straighten out. Sorry. You get it? And then this body, this earthly life, becomes a container of that higher self. And then that's when the magic happens. (laughs) So sometimes you just got to let go who you thought you were and embrace the process and invite the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come. But see, you got to feed him first. Got to feed the higher self first. You got to feed the prophet in you first. The bread of his presence. Does that make sense to you? Now let's close our eyes, if you would. Let's just take a moment. I hope this was okay today. I hope it didn't go too long. Or I hope it made sense. I hope it wasn't too offensive. It'll give you a lot to think about and chew on, I'm sure. I'm not against the church. I just. I just recognize these are beliefs and systems that hold you and keep you in bondage. I mean, my God, if you think that, you know, you step out from underneath your husband's covering or the pastor's covering or the last church you left or whatever, how small you must think about yourself. And you're so much greater than that. You're so much bigger than that. That's not even what the Bible's saying. Right? So I want want you to ask yourself this question. Who have you allowed to take possession of you? To tell you who you are? To set the parameters of your life by which you abide? And you don't dare step out of one or the other. Because the owner might get upset. It might be your own judgments, your own value judgments. You might be in bondage to yourself. You might be in bondage to a relationship where you just can't stand the thought of not pleasing that person. You might be in bondage to church. You might, who knows, right? But I want to help you by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning to reclaim that part of yourself. You gave away part of yourself. And this may have been years ago. This may be a current thing or it may be something from years ago, but you just have never quite felt completely whole from that time. Could have been a parent that you tried to please, but never felt like you could. Could be a demanding image of God that you feel like you've been trying to please and never been able to live up to God's expectations for you. But whatever those things are, they're carrying pieces of your soul. And so we're going to pray a prayer right now we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to release those parts of your soul and bring them back to you and so Father in the name of Jesus thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit right now Father I thank you for everyone listening by the sound of my voice I thank you for everyone that's in this room Father those places where we have surrendered ourselves where we have given away parts of who we are where we have given away parts and pieces of our hearts and our soul and our dreams and our desires and we've given them away to other people. Father, right now we make a decision to reclaim and invite and call those parts of ourselves back. And so from that place of being in our higher selves right now, 
Father, as, as I become that corporate voice of the higher self, each one's higher self right now, meeting them where they are and calling back into their life the pieces of their soul and the pieces of their lives that have been given away to the eaves of their life, to those that tried to take possession of them. Right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, by His authority and by the power and unction of the Spirit, we command those parts to be released. We can, we speak to those people, we speak to those situations, we speak to those institutions, and we command you right now to give up those parts of our souls and parts of our lives, and we claim those parts back to us right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that the heavenly hosts, the angels of God are involved right now in bringing parts of yourself, parts of your soul back into you, and bringing healing to your soul, healing to your mind, healing to your heart. If you're a woman and you're able, I would like for you to stand up just because I want you to stand in representation of all the women who have been robbed and oppressed, stolen from, killed, destroyed because of the power of a lie coming from the church, because of the power of religion that tries to oppress. You you realize in Scripture, (laughs) I got this from my sister Jackie, but... You realize that in Scripture, the reason there was no room for Mary in the end (laughs) was because they were ordered by the government to go someplace that didn't have room for them. And it represents the feminine image (laughs) being ordered by an illegitimate government over her to try to fit her into a place that isn't big enough to contain her. It's right there in your Christmas story. Lift your hands, ladies. I want you to stand in in place. Receive a healing for yourself. But right now, receive a healing on behalf of women around the world who've been oppressed, who've been beat down, who've had their souls compromised, fractured, whatever, by illegitimate authorities in places that had no room for them. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we call upon your mercy right now. We say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. We secure it now for our sisters around the world. And, Father, as these women stand, I thank you that they are standing in solidarity in their spaces, women, carrying the image and the glory of God that you've called them to carry, representing that part of our own self even, which is so important which has the ability within all of us, male and female, to have an empty space to carry the divine. And so, Father, right now we pray for women around the world and we are asking, Lord, for you to continue to raise up truth that will liberate the captives even amongst us in churches all over this city, all over this nation, and all over this world that treat women like they are second-class citizens, that treat them like they are slaves, that have not honored the gifting and the anointing and the authority and the power that they carry. And so, Father, right now we pray for a mighty release and a breaking out of, of the divine feminine, if you will. Father, that there will be a mighty revelation and a release of that. We pray for healing for these ladies. We pray for healing, Father, for the men and the way that, that those things have gone on. Now just receive, ladies, just receive right there for yourself and for women everywhere. May they be set free. Lord, every yoke of oppression and bondage upon people, if it be because of race, if it be because of gender, if it be because of belief system, even sexual orientation, Lord, every form of bondage and oppression, we are asking, Lord, for you to remove those bondages and to raise up and quicken the recognition within and amongst ourselves of the divine spark and the divine image that we all carry. Help us sort through our own stuff so that we can see our life hidden with Christ in God. In Jesus' name. 
Just lift your hands and give the Lord a shout of praise. Give Him some thanks. God bless you. Hope you have a great day. I hope this helped somebody. It was a tough one to preach today. It was just a lot of hard plowing. But God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for supporting us. We love you. Have a great day.